Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. Seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Hey everyone, this is Ben Baldanza. Welcome to this week's edition of Airlines Confidential. As we announced last week, I've got a new co-host as Seth Kaplan takes off on a great new career opportunity. So I'm here to welcome again my friend and former colleague, Chris Chimes, who we introduced to listeners last week. Chris, it's great to have you here. I'm looking forward to having some fun, but more importantly, for our listeners to have some fun as well. Thanks, Ben. I'm glad to be here as well. Uh, I've always loved radio as a medium for news and information, and podcasting is just a natural evolution in today's digital media landscape. So uh, while I've technically been out of the direct involvement in the airline industry for over a decade, I still consider myself an airline guy, and I certainly have opinions. Maybe not always insight, but certainly opinions, so I look forward to wherever this flight plan takes us. Well, me too, Chris. And once an airline guy, always an airline guy, I think. (laughs) As you know, we usually start off with a quick roundup of interesting news of the week. I'm not sure our listeners are ready for a new co-host and a new format, so we'll stick to that plan for now. And as the new guy in the cockpit, I'll let you take the lead on the news of the week. Thanks, Ben. Even though it seems like the eyes of the entire world were on the tragic and disturbing events in Washington, D.C. last week, there was still a fair amount of aviation news being made. First, of course, was the sad news from Saturday of the Sriwijaya airliner crash off the coast of Indonesia. As we went to production, there was not much information that we could talk about, but we'll keep an eye on this story next week. It should be noted that this was not related to the previous 737 MAX crash in Indonesia more than two years ago. This was a 737-500. Related to the 737 MAX, however, there was an announcement this past week of the $2.5 billion fine that Boeing agreed to as part of the settlement of criminal charges related to its handling of the 737 MAX. We talked about the MAX last week, Ben, and as I know, uh, you've also talked about it multiple times over the past few months, but... I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about this settlement announcement. Well, yes, Chris. And first of all, regarding the crash in Indonesia, obviously our hearts go out to everyone affected by that. I saw a story just before we started recording this that they found what they believe are the black boxes from that. And so I hope that that starts the, you know, open and transparent discussion of what may have happened with that airplane. As far as the MAC settlement goes, I think it's another step in Boeing's sort of recovery from this disaster, if you will. As you know, Chris, and many of our listeners do, Boeing has had a few different settlements of litigations related to this. They obviously now have the plane recertified after all, you know, almost two years of grounding. So the plane's flying again. They've settled a lot of the litigation. Now they settle this sort of criminal charge potential, all of those are sort of stepping stones toward getting back to normal with the airplane. So in that sense, I think it's good for Boeing. The thing, though, is if you look at what Boeing has spent, it's probably up into the $10 billion range already. 
and they're probably not completely out of the woods with everything they're going to have to spend to settle everything related when so many people die and so many companies are affected and things like that. And I've just been thinking, Chris, like how many of these planes do they have to sell to make $10 billion of profit before they make the first dollar of profit from actually selling another one? So my thinking is that it's going to take a long, long time and that Boeing, frankly, will just never get the economic return from this plane that at one point they thought they would. Do you think that's too extreme? No, I really don't. You know, part of the discussion last week, as you recall, was a listener saying, you know, maybe Boeing hasn't paid enough. This $2.5 billion is just a moment in time with regard to their ultimate costs that they're going to have to pay. All the reputation and other kinds of issues they're going to have to work through, as well as financial settlements, are still ahead of them. You know, the market seemed to react somewhat positively. You know, markets like certainty. Um, they like to know something's settled. So even if it was a bigger fine, I think the market would still have generally swallowed this in a constructive way. But Boeing's got a long road ahead of them, as we talked about previously. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, they've, they're making organizational changes. Clearly, the role of overseers and aircraft certifiers is changing in terms of the role between Boeing and the FAA, but also around the world, probably, with the authorities that certify airplanes and those that make them and things like that. So one of the positive things that come from terrible airline crashes, I think, is that the world tends to get smarter from them and do things better and reduce the likelihood that at least the same kind of accident could come again. And I certainly hope that at least as it relates to this, we're in that mode now with the MAX. Totally agree. You know, as I was taking a look at the news roundup for the week two, I mean, one of the things that there's always at the start of the, each year is media coverage is about market trends and outlooks and what we can expect from aviation for 2021. And in the context of the Boeing issues and the ongoing rivalry between Boeing and Airbus, I noticed some 2021 predictions that this might be a pivotal year for COMAC, the Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China, to get more traction. It's got its 70 to 90 seat ARJ-21 now being operated by eight Chinese airlines, and there are about 300 more on order, but it's C-19 that competes with the Airbus 320 and, three, and Boeing 737 has taken some production delays and is several years away from passenger service. Is there really an opening for this plane and more broadly for the COMAX suite of offerings? That's a great question, Chris. I don't know a lot about these planes, although I've read what I can about them, seen pictures of the ARJ-21 at least. You know, and uh, my sense is they're probably well-designed, well-engineered, well-built airplanes. I have no reason to believe they're not that. I think it's just really hard to break into the Airbus-Boeing um, competition for commercial airplanes, at least in North America and Europe, for example. It might be easier for them to sell Chinese-made airplanes in China and Airbus's assembling planes in China for that same reason, because that's a growing market, of course. But I think we could use the Bombardier C-Series as a good lesson here. Bombardier up in Canada created this new airplane that they called the C-Series that in many ways 
bested both the 737 and A320 in terms of more modern technology, lighter, better range, super fuel efficiency. But they had a very hard time selling that plane. And the reason they did is airlines need support after they buy the airplane. And nobody really felt comfortable that Bombardier could provide that support. I remember I was at an industry event once and I was sitting next to a, an aircraft lessor. And he said, Ben, you know what the problem with the C-Series is? It's not the first lease, it's the second lease. Meaning that some an airline that would want them to sort of finance and lease the plane for them, they might trust that airline and be willing to do it. But they were worried about when they get the plane back at the end of that lease, would there be a market big enough to reposition that plane? And that's why lessors weren't taking it on big. Now, Airbus does the deal with Bombardier. Now that plane's called the A220, and they're selling them quite well. We already know a number of airlines that have bought them because people trust Airbus around the world like they trust Boeing as companies that can support the products they put out there with parts, with training, things like that. So I think a challenge for, you know, Comac to bring airplanes into the European or American market is going to be how long would it take them to get critical mass where the leasing community and the airlines will say, well, we like this airplane, but we also believe we can operate it efficiently and it won't be stuck on the ground five days if we have a maintenance problem. That's a really big hurdle for a new airplane or a new airplane manufacturer to handle. And I'm just not sure how, whether they can make it that way when they've got a big market in China that's probably willing to buy their planes for quite a while. I don't know. What's your view on this, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I haven't followed this nearly as closely as you or some of our listeners over the past several years. But if I put on my Washington, D.C. government affairs hat for a minute, I just find it hard to believe that U.S. or European regulators are going to do anything that might create an opportunity or an opening for a government-sponsored or government-connected Chinese company right now, especially in the areas of aerospace and technology, very important manufacturing and export industries for both the U.S. and, and the EU. You know, we can't stop the Chinese from entering into this market, and they certainly have a reason to want to enter into aerospace, uh, if nothing else, for a share of the huge domestic market in China. But they've been hacking our companies and stealing our technology, so any progress will not be with the help of the EU or the US or the leading airlines of the world. I think you're right, and I think um, labor would also support that in the yep. US and Europe, yep. Yep. You know, not wanting to lose jobs to, to Chinese manufactured airplanes. You know, Airbus had this same kind of challenge for a long time, right? They weren't yep. Boeing. There were people who said... Airlines in the U.S. shouldn't fly these planes. They're made in Europe. That threatens U.S. employment. We have you know, a lot of employees of Boeing, a U.S. company. And Airbus has done a lot to address that. They've put a, an assembly plant in Mobile, Alabama. They've employed a lot of people in the U.S. They've hired a lot of subcontractors in the U.S. They've set up a big office in Washington, D.C. so that Elected officials know who they are and know how U.S.-centric their manufacturing really is. But it's taken them, you know, decades to sort of get even U.S. airlines and legislators to think that it's okay to buy an Airbus airplane. And if it took us that long to buy an airplane from our friends in Germany and England and France, I agree with you that China is kind of a, 
a high bar to have to hurdle there. Exactly. So, Chris, as a PR guy, I'm interested in your reaction to another newsworthy item last week, specifically the blowback that Ryanair has taken for its jab-and-go marketing campaign. For those not familiar with the issue, the UK Advertising Standards Agency opened an investigation after receiving almost 2,000 complaints about the campaign. It was kind of a go-get-your-COVID vaccine, that's the jab, and then book one of these great fairs for summer travel, the go. So jab and go. Is this something the government should be investigating? And what about the criticism of being tasteless? Should that matter, Chris? I saw this story this week and I kind of winced. I'm going to try to be objective here, Ben. I disclose and remind our listeners that I currently work in the cruise industry And as you know, we've had a very difficult go of things this past year as it relates to COVID. We haven't had any revenue operations since last March, and there's still no certainty when cruising is going to resume in the U.S. Plus, I was personally impacted by the death of an immediate family member last April from COVID during the early days of the pandemic. So I I may not be totally objective, but I'm going to try to be. Uh, That being said, I think, frankly, this was both classless and tasteless. Uh, airlines are working hard to keep their employees and their passengers healthy and safe. They're working hard to deliver vaccine supplies. They're working to maintain their role as an economic engine in, in, in around the world. And I just don't think using the vaccine as a marketing ploy is necessary right now, especially with the UK trying to contain a new strain of the virus and other nations in Europe trying to keep the strain out. However, I don't think Ryanair particularly cares about my opinion. And to your question, does this rise to the level of a government investigation? The UK regulators seem to think so. You know, Ryanair has historically liked to play fast and loose. I get that. It's kind of fun to watch, but I think this was uncalled for and they should own up to it. You know, I I agree with that sentiment, but I have to say I'm not totally surprised. If you look through Ryanair's advertising through history, and maybe I'm not the one who should say this because we got some criticism for advertising when I was at Spirit also, of course. But Ryanair has often sort of bellied up to the line of taste or lack of taste on a lot of their ads, sometimes to sort of you know, poke fun at a regulation they didn't like or poke fun at a competitor. Yeah. But I agree with you that the comment that the sort of trying to make a marketing campaign around the around the virus or getting even even the positive end of it a vaccine is pretty tasteless i don't know that i think the regulators should come down so hard on them from a fine standpoint but i hope that the pressure will maybe have ryanair you know be a little smarter about this i think it was more tone deaf than mean that's my sense exactly and it's just you know step up to the line and say we goofed and we're sorry and learn from it. They could have made this go away instead of continuing the public discussions. So time for a listener question. Uh, This is from Yoni from Chicago, who asks, how did SkyWest become such a good regional operator? Many regionals come and go, but besides the wholly owned ones, uh, SkyWest really seems to stand out as solid, reliable, and financially successful. They operate for Delta, United, American, and Alaska, and by the number of flights, are probably one of the largest airlines in the world. Ben? Well, that's a great question, Yoni. Thank you. And I agree with you. SkyWest is an excellent airline and they're a terrific regional operator. In my career, um, I have you know, indirectly hired SkyWest to fly for the airlines that I've worked for, worked at airlines that hired SkyWest to fly for them. 
And they just do a really good job at what they do. They're very focused on their business. They're smart at buying and financing their airplanes. They're a very reliable operator. When an airline says, we need you to fly this route from here to there, the plane's there, the crews are there, the flights are on time, the planes are clean, the flight attendants are well-trained and friendly. And they also, because they've kept their costs pretty low, as many regional airlines do, regional airlines are known to be very cost-efficient kind of operations. What they've done is they've found that by operating for you know, big airlines like Delta United American and fine for Alaska, they sort of diversify their risk a bit. It's not like they only work for one company and if that company decides to cut them off, they lose all their revenue. And in that process, they just do everything they do really, really well. And that's not a great answer in the sense of they, it's not like they have this silver bullet, Yoni, right, that they're better at everyone, but they're just really focused at what they do. And as an airline that employs them to fly for them, they deliver on what they promise to deliver at a fair price. And given that, it's not surprising to me that they've done so well and have been able to operate as a standalone operator, haven't been absorbed by an airline at some point. Chris, you know, when we were at U.S. Airways, we did some work with SkyWest and maybe when you were at American, they were doing uh, work with SkyWest. Do you have an opinion about them? Yeah, it's been interesting watching their evolution uh, over the years. Um, I'm old enough to remember when the old uh, Howard Hughes Air West used to be called Air Worst. And (laughs) then SkyWest kind of inherited that moniker and was often referred to as SkyWorst because they weren't a great operator. Um, But they've really um, made significant progress and they're they're really a, a great airline right now. I see it as a passenger. I fly a lot out west to visit family and I am often connecting on them. And, you know, they've got a great fleet. The people seem happy. They run a good operation. The aircraft are clean. So all the things that that a major airline wants to see is they hand off their passengers onto their regional partners. So along with, you know, the safe operations, of course. So I think it's been fascinating to watch their progress into uh, the position they are now. Well, time for another listener question. But first, we want to thank Clear. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports across the U.S., moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com airlines. That's www.clearme.com airlines. So we've got another question. This is from Mark in Dallas. What was the New Year's Eve news release from Sabre and Southwest all about? On one level, it read like big news that required a holiday announcement. And on the other, it was basically announcing a renewal. What's the story? Chris, why would they have made such a big deal about just a renewal if that's all it is? Uh, uh, Well, I'm guessing Mark doesn't work for Sabre or Southwest because I think both those companies certainly know what this was about. I, th- I think the news was if there was any that the travel agencies and corporate travel managers who weren't who weren't going to lose access to Southwest content on Sabre effective with the new year. Probably some of those folks left for the holiday weekend wondering what was going to happen to the content uh, when they got back to the office or got back online after New Year's. Uh, it, it was essentially a renewal that took too long to reach. 
So the parties wanted to announce the extension as soon as they could because there was a, a suspension in the content on Saber. Wouldn't have been a good thing for mostly for Saber. Southwest, I'm sure, had workarounds. From a PR perspective, it wasn't time to maximize media attention or get the attention of investors because no one was really kind of paying attention. It was announced on the worst news day of the year. But um, regardless, it was probably worth getting out there to make sure your stakeholders knew about it. I'm sure my friend Roshan Mendez at Sabre was working hard to get this done. And so they could get out the news and relax for the rest of the weekend, knowing that the workarounds weren't necessary. And it was business as usual uh, January 2nd. Well, you said earlier in the show, Chris, that markets like certainty. And this is a this is a localized example of that, right? The travel industry community likes certainty too. And Southwest is certainly a popular airline for people to book. And so the people who get their fares and schedule information from Sabre probably were rightfully concerned about what if we can't sell Southwest after the first of the year. So putting that announcement out, like you said, gave them the certainty they needed to. Yeah. So uh, under the category of good problems to have, we actually got quite a few questions this past week. So we're going to squeeze one more in. Uh, This is from our friend Joe in Tampa, who wants to know what we think about the call from Sarah Nelson, the very effective president of the Association of Flight Attendants who is calling for those people who took part in the Capitol riot last week to be banned from flying. Ben? Well, I can understand why Sarah would be so upset, as I think so many people were in the U.S., certainly me and you, I'm sure, when we saw what what happened. I mean, that was just a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. Whether or not they should not be allowed to fly, I don't know that I want to keep them in Washington. (laughs) And I don't know that I want them getting in cars, uh, you know, either if they're that angry. So I don't know that they should be banned from flying. I certainly think they that that airline should take no special um, care that these people can be handled in a certain way and don't put up with any crap on board for a a lack of a better way to say that. I certainly think that, but I think banning those people is probably a stretch too far. I mean, when they go back home, should they not be allowed to shop in their grocery store? Should they not be allowed to get gas at their gas station? I mean, I'm not at all happy with what these people did I think a number of them now probably regret what they did, but that's not good enough. They still did what they did and they should have consequences, but the consequences of those should be legal. Those who should be arrested should be arrested. They should have to pay back any physical damage they did and things like that. But I don't think they should you know, have to be stopped from living their life, basically. Am I being too nice to them, Chris? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I think ultimately this is a law enforcement issue, not an airline or FA or DOT issue. I mean, there is a no-fly list. If someone uh, who participated in that last week is determined to be the equivalent of a domestic terrorist, federal law enforcement authorities clearly have the ability to put them on a list. So I think we have to look at their crimes and we're obviously only going to be able to ban people who are identified and convicted. Um, But I think law enforcement has to look at these things carefully in case they might also be seen as a danger to the aviation system for inciting violence and other kinds of activities. So we don't know what ultimately uh, they were planning to do or what they're capable of doing. But I think 
what Sarah does is raise the issue of domestic terrorism that we have to probably pay a lot more attention to than we are. I agree with that, Chris. And if Homeland Security or whoever would do this wants to formally label these people domestic terrorists, then I would absolutely support banning them, just as we should support anyone who is formally and rightfully called a terrorist by our government. I'm, I agree with that totally. Well, thanks for the first half of the first show with just you and me, Chris. We'll be right back. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, and an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seaburycapital, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. With Chris Chimes, I'm Ben Baldanza, and this is Airlines Confidential. Chris, how you doing? Keeping up with this? All good, Ben. Haven't had to use my oxygen mask once. So, well, listeners, do you have a question for us? You can call us on our new phone number. Please note this new number, and it's also on our website, 202-964-0177, and you can record a question. We'll play it on the air, or you can email us, or use the web form to submit a question. Fine or Wine is next, but first, we want to thank Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company that makes travel management easier and less expensive with their AI-powered booking applications, intelligent learning algorithms, customizable rules engines, analytics, and global negotiated rate programs. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, visit hotelconnections.com. That's hotelconnections.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, as we put away our electronics and tray table for our initial descent, let's get to this week's Fine or Wine, where we take an actual customer complaint and then talk about whether the complaint is fine or whether they're just whining. So this one, Chris, is from Alexandra. She's writing from Baltimore, but this is about her move to Seattle, which has since taken place. My husband and I are frontline healthcare workers moving from Baltimore to Seattle for work in one week. We're moving with two cats and due to our leases at both locations, as well as having to work in the hospital once we get to Seattle, booked a specific direct flight and added our cats to come with us. One week from the itinerary has been rebooked. We were rerouted through another airport and they will no longer let us bring our pets. They explained that when they changed our flight yesterday, they put us at the back of the line for pet tickets, which were now already full on the new flight. We were told it did not matter that we had previously booked the pet tickets before the flight switch. Chris, what's the verdict on this one? Well, I feel like I've got a good feel for guest complaints since I've managed this function for a couple of different companies. And then, of course, travel complaints often get litigated in the court of public opinion when consumers take their happiness to the media. So 
This one is easy, compounded by the fact that you can never win when it involves animals. As, <laughs> as described by Alexander, I think this is a definite fine. Alaska made their problem their customer's problem. What we don't know are the circumstances. You know, airline capacity and scheduling has been turned on its head this past year. So I'm sure that contributed to what Alaska might have thought was out of their control, but they should have invested some elbow grease to find a solution. I agree with you, Chris. You know, what um, Alexandra writes is that they were already full of pets on the flight. What many of our listeners know, but maybe not all of our listeners, is there are limits on how many pets can be inside the cabin, even if they're paid for and such. And so it is possible that there was plenty of room for Alexandra's pets, but because other pets were there, they weren't allowed to have that many on board. But again, they made their problem her problem. I totally agree with you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for taking this journey with us today. It's been great to have everyone on board. We'd love to hear from you with feedback, comments, or questions. Remember, we have a new phone number, which is 202-964-0177. So if you had us on speed dial, make sure to update it. Or you can email us the questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the links to contact us. Hey, Ben, as we close, are you up for offering a 2021 airline resolution? Oh, of course. That's a great idea, Chris. Um, Okay, I'll go first. Airlines, give us a break from making the flight attendants read that stale script promoting your credit cards. Um, It was a great (laughs) idea 15 years ago. I think I probably wrote one of the first scripts to start promoting the cards, uh, but I think it needs some freshening up and no one wants to be handling extra pieces of paper right now as you pass out applications. <laughs> That's a great one. I can live with that one for sure, Chris. I'm going to give a more um, 30,000 foot kind of question. I'm going to say airlines be disciplined on bringing back capacity. Demand is so uncertain and the rollout of vaccines will ultimately bring travel back, but who knows how quick that's going to be. When is New York going to get rid of their quarantine, for example? Certainly not just because a vaccine is available right now. And so bringing back too many planes too quickly will destabilize pricing in the industry, make it difficult for airlines to financially recover. And we want every airline in the U.S. to survive this. So think about adding that capacity back. Be disciplined about it. Let demand lead the airplane, not the other way around. I don't know that everybody would agree on that, but that's what I think. And with that, I'm Chris Chimes. Thanks for listening. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Until next week, stay safe and take care of yourselves. Great job, Chris. It's really exciting doing this with you. We'll see everyone next week. Have a good week. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.